If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts chapter 19. As we've been studying the acts of the apostles and the acts of these men of God, who his disciples who were there with Jesus during his lifetime were discipled by the the God-man, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, came down in, in human flesh and dwelt among 12 disciples and poured into them and showed them how powerful God was in their life, how much God loved them. He showed them the ultimate sign of love, which was the cross, of Jesus going forward to die on the cross. And they were disheartened by this, and they were sad, and they asked Jesus to not go to the cross. But Jesus told them it was better for them that he go and return so that he can leave the helper that would be the Holy Spirit to come and to guide them in all things. And now the Holy Spirit was working in the early church. And then God called Paul, that man who was an enemy to the Christians, this man who was bringing Christians so that they could be brought before the Jewish leaders to be prisoned and to be persecuted. And Paul met him on the road to Damascus and got a hold of his life, caused him to fall down and go blind. And Paul said, Jesus, who who are you? Lord, who are you? And Jesus told Paul, I, it's me, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And from that moment on, Paul became a believer, had a, a huge conversion, repented, and then began to follow after Christ. So much so that many disciples of, of Christ, Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives in that person. That's the second position where the Holy Spirit dwells within someone. And then when the Holy Spirit fills someone so much that he's using them now to do God's work, then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and flows out of them. That's the upon experience. So these disciples, when Paul came to them and said, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't so much as heard it. Paul must have saw this as a great opportunity for him to describe and explain to them how Jesus left the Holy Spirit for us and that they can have that that free gift. He says in verse 3, And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. You see, this is John the Baptist now that they are referring to, who was alive during Jesus' time, also executed during Jesus' time. And they followed John's teaching. John was, according to Jesus, the greatest prophet that there was who lived. And now when Paul hears that they were baptized into John's teaching, he wants them to have that full doctrine now, that saving grace by the Holy Spirit. If you remember John the Baptist when he was still in his mother's womb, Jesus also was in his mother's womb. They were sort of like cousins. They were born close to the same period of time. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, had Jesus in her womb. 
And Elizabeth had John the Baptist in her womb. And John the Baptist was destined to be the forerunner for the Messiah. So much so that when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she journeyed to visit Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. See, this was John's mission given to him. to be the forerunner. John would preach to the crowds. He would say, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And this indeed was his mission. John would later tell these people who followed him. He said, I indeed baptize you with water, But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan in his hand, he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You see, John the Baptist was a great prophet. And he did proclaim that Jesus had come to save the world. But Paul would have explained to these disciples how Christ left us the Holy Spirit to be baptized in. You see, we do have that water baptism that Jesus calls us to. But there is also a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 5, it says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So again, we see here the the upon experience. I'm sure Paul was just so loving the moment where they said, you know what, we want to move forward in our walk with Christ. We want to take that step of baptism. And as they were baptized, suddenly they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. And what we see is that gift of the Holy Spirit, those gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy, they're still valid to this day. There are great Bible teaching pastors whom I, I, I love who teach that the gifts, certain gifts of the Holy Spirit are, are, are no longer existent today. And these are saved men who uh, have huge churches, and I'm not, I'm not an enemy to them. They're, they're my brothers in the Lord. But they are called cessationalists, meaning that, that stopping, the cease. Cessationalist, meaning that miracles and gifts of the Spirit were only for the time of Jesus and the early church. And they don't believe that miracles happen today. And they don't believe uh, the validity of prophecy or the speaking of tongues such as what we just read. And that, that kind of saddens me, but they're still our brothers in the Lord. So I don't, I don't, you know, hate them or I don't treat them differently or mean. But as we go line upon line, verse by verse in the Bible, what we're seeing is doctrine that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. In verse 7, it says, Now the men who were about 12 in all, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Now, what we're going to see as a characteristic of Paul is his persistence. He is someone who, who persevered greatly. He was there for three months in Ephesus, reasoning and persuading with them the things concerning the kingdom of God. Paul was one of those types of fellows who, once something was in his heart and in his mind, 
He would run for it so fast that God sometimes would have to stop him. You have to put him in that place where he says, okay, Paul, you need to stop. And the Holy Spirit sometimes would prohibit him from going forward. It says in verse 9, But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now, one thing to note, because these disciples or these other men, they were hardened and they didn't believe, he departed. You see, we can't by ourselves convert people. You see, the Holy Spirit must move upon them and they must be open to it. So when the gospel is rejected by us, we need to move on. We need to, as Jesus would say, shake the dust off of our feet and continue forward and realize that people aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting God. And that's not for us to then become angry at them. You know, sometimes it's just not time. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has to awaken that, that person in their heart and in, the, in their mind. And evangelism should be something that naturally flows from our life where we just ask God to put us in that position, that place where somebody would ask us a question about our, our belief, about, about God, about Jesus, and be ready with an answer when people ask us how we endure trials with peace. How is it that we get through it? We need to be ready with that answer, that it's because of Jesus. In verse 10, And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, when it says Asia, it's referring to actually Asia Minor. There's this province uh, north of the Mediterranean, east of the Aegean Sea. It's not the, the larger Asia, but there is a province called Asia Minor. And it's in Asia Minor, actually, where it was home to the seven churches that were written to in the book of Revelation. John wrote to seven churches, one of them being Ephesus, where Paul is currently in our study. There's the church of Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. You see, Paul would start these churches as he's on his missions trip, and John later would exhort and rebuke some of them in the book of Revelation. But this is all there in Asia Minor, or what the, the work that Paul is doing. And I'm reminded how these places you could go see them to this day. The, the history that's behind the Bible, it's, it's powerful. Let's look at verse 11. It says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs, or aprons, were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, miracles by themselves are already unusual. They're, they're supernatural. But Luke here, in writing this this book is saying that there were unusual miracles, meaning that these miracles were, were more than the regular miracle, but they were even more unusual. And they're very unique, even for miracles. See, God, he doesn't use the same method every time. Certain times when Jesus would be doing ministry there in, in Judea, a certain man would come to him and with, with blindness in his eyes. And Jesus, when he healed him, he spit on the ground and made 
clay mud out of the dirt. And then he put that clay into this man's eyes. And then that man would become, after he rubbed it in there, all of a sudden he began to see. And then that was just one method that Jesus used when he was healing somebody. He didn't use that all, except for that time. And then another time, Jesus would just simply tell the, the centurion, go back home for your servant, he's healed. And so what we recognize is that God doesn't always use the same method. There's a, what we see in, in miracles sometimes is that there is a point of activation of faith. And what do, what do I mean by that? Do you remember the, the woman with, who had the flow of blood for years and she was sick, an outcast, and Jesus was, was coming through with his disciples and this woman saw Jesus was coming so when she got close to him, she simply just reached out and touched the hem of his robe, of his garment. Because she thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And when she did touch his garment, she was healed. And suddenly Jesus said, whoa, stop, stop, everybody. I've, who touched me? And his disciples were like, Everyone, everyone's touching you. Like we're all surrounding you. There's so many people trying to, trying, trying to touch you right now. What do you mean who touched you? And Jesus says, no, I felt power leave me. And all of a sudden she came forward and said, Jesus, like it was me. And he said, your faith has made you well. You see, her touching the robe of Jesus's garment was that point of activation of faith. It gave her something to, to allow her faith to be expressed. And we have that in our life. We have times where we have places where we just feel like this place that I go to is a place where I could get away and just focus on the presence of God and pray to him. Some time alone. And when you get to that place, it's that point of activation when we anoint people with oil and pray over them, the oil, it's, it's not magic oil. The oil is just a point of activation. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit falling on someone. And in that faith activation, there's power, there's healing. Now, there have been crooks and Men who claim to be pastors who would use this idea of Paul's handkerchief and his aprons being taken to the sick for their own gains. And perhaps you've ever seen uh, a televangelist saying, well, if you order these uh, crosses that we've prayed over and had dipped in holy water and we'll send it to you for a small fee of fifteen ninety nine. And you put this in your house, your house will be blessed. And they do this, and they, they try to, to make these scandals out, out of using poor people who are falling for it. Well, the Bible is against that. God is against those things. So we need to be discerning with, with miracles and always match them to the word of God. Always match them with this. Does it bring glory to God? Is it? Can we see this in scripture? Look at verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, these itinerant, the word itinerant, what it means is vagabond, sort of like traveling mystics. They were on a, a circuit where they would go around and these Jewish mystics, these Jewish 
exorcists would travel and do all these enchantments in order to, to make gain, to have their lively worth, their livelihood. And they sought now to follow in Paul's footsteps because they saw, oh, hey, that guy's got some power with him when he uses these words. Let's try to do the same. So it says in verse 14, also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, if you went to go be part of an exorcism, or perhaps you were just a fly on the wall, and saw these guys go in there to exercise somebody, and they came running out of that house naked and wounded. That had to be quite a scene. You had to think, wow, I'm not going in there. But this is the reality that there is demonology. There are spiritual forces existing that without the power of God, we have no power against. Now, what these Jewish mystics were doing where they were, they were trying to use evil to fight evil and they were just taking the name of Jesus and trying to use his name but they themselves were not pure remember Jesus was accused of casting out demons by the power of Satan the Pharisees were like oh Jesus is healing these people who are demonically possessed by the power of Satan and Jesus told them, no, no, no. If a house is divided, it cannot stand. So how will Satan fight against himself? This sorcery, it can only be fought with the power of God. You see, we, we fight against spiritual powers and, and forces of darkness the Bible teaches us. That word for sorcery, if you look in the New Testament, if you look up the word sorcery, it comes from the Greek word pharmakia. Now, pharmakia, according to the Greek, the literal definition is the use or the administering of drugs. Sorcery, magical arts, often found in connection with idolatry. Now, isn't that interesting? Sorcery, it comes from this word pharmakia, administering of drugs. You see, what they used to do in their, their times is they would take these drugs and then do these spiritual enchantments and it would open them up to the spiritual realm that is existing to this day. The word pharmakia, we get our word pharmacy from. So there is a spiritual battlefield when we see these people on drugs, people who are not soberly minded. They open themselves up to the enemy. The Bible teaches us that we are to be submitted to the Holy Spirit and not to any other type of substance. Now in verse 17, after these guys were fought off by the demon it says this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So this is revival. This is where you have a whole city saying, okay, you know what? We're not going to continue in these practices of sorcery. And they gather up all their books, and they burn them. 
and somebody was there counting how much the price of all these books were, and they was like, man, these, all the books that were burning are worth 50,000 pieces of silver. There'd be times of revival, even in America or of Europe, where you would see a, a, a whole town, a whole nation that would close up the bars and say, you know what, that's it, we're turning back to the Lord. You had the Great Awakening here in America, which is a time of revival, where after all the, the, the colonies had already been settled, suddenly the gospel was getting preached throughout the Americas. And with this too, the, there was a lot of, of the Bible being taught and slavery was being shown as something that, that was evil at that time. And revival is still something that we should pray for. And revival, it begins with you. You see, we, we talk about revival. We talk about where we are right now of how far we are from God as a nation, as a state. And we desire to see, man, holiness and righteousness in, in California But the revival needs to start with you. If you want to see revival, go home, draw a circle around yourself and say, okay, this is where the revival starts. Don't literally draw on your floor, but get on your knees and say, God, revive me. And pray that that spreads. So this turning away from sorcery, look at verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You see, the word of God, that's what changes lives. In verse 21, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And Paul begins to have this desire to go to Rome to preach the word there. That would be like a, a believer who just had it in his heart that he was going to go to the White House and say, you know what, I want to go to the White House, I want to go to Washington, and I want to preach the word. That's what Paul had in his heart. Because Rome, the Romans, were now the leaders of the, modern, of, the, of the world at that time. And Paul desired to go straight to where Caesar was and there begin to spread the gospel. Which when you continue to study Paul's journey, as God takes him there, but it's not the way that Paul probably wanted to go there. Paul ends up going to Rome, but in chains. And he gets a, an express ride all the way to Rome on a boat that ends up crashing, which we're going to read about later, getting shipwrecked, and has some crazy stories along the way. But I don't want to get too far ahead of Paul's journey. Look at verse 22. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. You see, the gospel message does cause great commotion. It's an offense to those who don't believe. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. I read, to those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, in their time when the Romans would go conquer a, a civilization and come back. They would have this big parade 
And as they were coming into this parade, the, the conqueror would be at the front of the line and everyone would be praising him and celebrating him. And there would be these incense and, and perfumes that would go out before him. They would smell like, yeah, like victory. Like they would, you know, have a barbecue and all this great glory. And at the end of that parade, they would have their conquered servants that they just take tooken from that society in chains and they'd be walking and some of them would be taken to get killed, to get slaughtered. And with them, there was this scent of, of death and doom. And Paul uses this in the Corinthian book to, as, a, as an example that this is what the gospel is like. To some of us, the gospel shows us that, wow, there is a plan for our life. There is a, an ultimate cosmic plan. The creator of the universe loves us, died for our sins, and wants us to be in line with him. And that same message that to us brings glory and life and joy, when other people hear it, they say, oh man, that's, they become slaves to it. They say, no, I don't want that for my life. I'm not going to submit to God. I'd rather be still in my sin because I like it. And that the gospel to them, when we say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, they're offended by that. They're offended that they can't work their, themselves into heaven. So know that the gospel that we carry, it is an offense to people. doesn't mean that we're not supposed to share it with others. But to know when and how and that we would be a living epistle to our friends, our family members. In verse 24, For a certain man named Demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana brought no small profit to the craftsmen. Now this is, again, after there was much commotion about the way there in Ephesus. It says in verse 25, He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. More over, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. So we have this Demetrius, this silversmith, and he would craft these idols, the goddess of Diana. And now, with Paul's teaching coming into their society, saying, look, these little idols that you guys worship are, are nothing. They're meaningless. Suddenly, Demetrius, the silversmith who makes these idols, is like, man, this guy's going to ruin my occupation. And he's offended by Paul's preaching. Christ is an offense. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 through 8, it says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. You see, with the gospel of Christ now in Ephesus, people were, were stumbled by it. In verse 28, it says, Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now this Diana was a Greek goddess. She was the daughter of Zeus or, or Jupiter. If you're a Roman or Greek, you had different gods of the same being. 
They're all false gods, though. Now, this goddess Diana, she, the statue of her was this woman with many breasts. She was worshipped as the mother of nourishment and fertility and worshipped in sexual rites and a lot of pagan practice and was there in Ephesus. And all these men now are crying out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And in verse 29 it says, so the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go in with the people, the disciples would not allow him. So you see, Demetrius, the silversmith, he got all this mob together and was like, hey, like, we need to do something about Paul and his friends. And so they grabbed Gaius and the, the other companion, Aristarchus, and they take them now, so much so that Paul, he must have not been in there at the time, but that he wants to go out to the theater to talk to them. But they wouldn't let Paul go because they're saying, hey, like, be careful. Like, if you go out there, they're going to kill you. Though he sought to intervene. And then verse 31, then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Now this theater in Ephesus is still there in Turkey. It's uh, it's a huge, uh, great uh, amphitheater. Uh, I got to visit it last year in the spring, and it's it's amazing to see just how God was so real in their time, where they had this huge theater ready to just hurt the Christians who were there, but God intervenes. Look at verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. So they take Alexander, who at that time the Ephesians felt like, well, this guy's a Jew and he's one of Paul's friends, so we're going to get him. Now some think this is actually Alexander the coppersmith, who later on would betray Paul and become a, a blasphemer and an enemy to Paul written about in First and Second Timothy. But at this point, Alexander was brought before this riot, and perhaps he became frightened by them. It says in verse 34, But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So they stopped Alexander from trying to plead his case as he was motioning to try to give his defense. And then in verse 35, when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Man of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. I note here how, how lost and blind some people can be in their false religions. You see Diana and Zeus, the city clerk, is saying, look, we, everybody knows that Zeus and Diana are the greatest gods that are here. Nobody's denying that. And the world is so blind at times. And they don't know what's right from wrong. And they call good evil and they call evil good. It's good to understand where a person is coming from when we try to seek to minister to them. And get to the simplicity of, look, we need Jesus. 
Get a person to look to God, to Jesus as the savior of souls. He says in verse 37, the city clerk is continuing to try to calm down this riot. He says in verse 37, For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have another, any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give account for this disorderly gathering. Now it is noteworthy in Greek culture that they were big on law and order. Trial by jury and the judicial system which we practice was created there initially by the rulers and philosophers in Greece. So the city clerk knew that this matter of the mob and their attempt to harm Alexander and Paul's companions, it was illegal. And here what we recognize is that God is using even the city clerk, this non-believer, to sovereignly protect Paul's companions. See, God, because he is sovereign, can use even the enemy to have his will done. In this point, he's using a non-believer. At other times in the Bible, God used a, a donkey to get his message across. You see, God can use anyone. But when we're submitted to him, when we say, God, I ask that you would use me today, and let him lead and guide you, then you're an instrument that's full of the Spirit ready to be used in the best capacity that God will call you to. And this city clerk was able to get everyone to calm down. And I love reading about how the culture of that time, which we read about in secular history, is coming out even in the Bible where we see that. And everything lines up with scripture and with, how the history of the world started and, and is existing today. So God intervenes. It says in verse 41, And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. See, this is one of those moments where the riot that was about to overtake the Paul and his friends, they perhaps were like, oh man, like what, what are we going to do? And Paul was reminded, hey, God's in control. God used the city clerk to intervene and the riot didn't hurt his friends. They were able to go on and to continue to minister. And that's our sovereign God that he calls us to, to places, to people, to be used by him. And we have to recognize that we are living in a world that doesn't believe in him. But we are not of this world. Remember Jesus, what he said in John's gospel. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. And when we recognize that our home is in a heavenly realm, suddenly the things that we care about so much, the things that we're worried about, what we fight for here, it all passes away. And we're not to be like this world. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, so many times we, we want to make this earthly experience our kingdom. And we want to set up our, our business, our family, our, our people and our, our things here and allow that to flourish so greatly and we, we take so much pride in it. But we forget that there is a spiritual realm There are eternal weights of glory that we get to have and to partake of when we simply submit to God and say, God, whatever you want to do. So this week, may we be filled with the Spirit so that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. See, that's where the battle starts, in our minds. And when we're full of the Spirit, may we go out like Paul was and realize we're in a spiritual warfare that our words can cause division, our words can cause a riot or revival. But it's like we have, imagine if you were the only person on this world who, not the only person, but you had the cure to COVID and you wanted to keep it to yourself and the whole world is dying of COVID but you're like, no, but I'm good because you know I'm I'm saved. I got I got my cure from COVID, and so and not. But I'm too scared to give it to anybody because they might think I'm weird, or they might think look at me funny, or they might get mad at me. You know, far be that from us. May we be men and women who desire to to give people the truth of the gospel that they can have eternal life. That Jesus is calling out to them, saying, return to me. He's calling out to us. Let's all stand. As we pray uh, this morning, afternoon, Let's ask that we would ask God to help us to not look at the world so much, to not look at the things of this world and the things that are passing away, but may God keep us more heavenly minded, that our hearts and our minds would be on the things of his kingdom, on the things of eternity, rather than the things that are passing away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Forgive us when, Lord God, we put idols in our life. When we give the enemy a foothold in our our lives. Father, cleanse us, transform our minds, transform our hearts. I pray and I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and make our bodies, our minds, his home. And would you live through us, Father? Anoint us for evangelism, anoint us for for teaching, for, for hospitality, Lord God, for for wisdom. Father, use us mightily. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys have, if you guys would like prayer or you would like to uh, be prayed with, feel free to to meet with myself, my mom, my dad um, at the end of service. And we'd love to pray with you guys. Um, But we're going to end with this song.
Sunday next week, so if you'd like to be here with that, um, if you're tuning in online, have your communion ready, because we're going to be partaking in communion together. All right, we love you guys. We'll see you.